You are listening to episode 50 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. I cannot even believe I just said the words episode 50. Can you believe that this weekly podcast has been fueling the lives of people all over the world? I'm talking 64 countries for 50 weeks straight. Oh my goodness. I am just really excited that the 50th episode aligns with a topic that I have lived and breathed for most of my adult life, and that is marketing. I loved getting to know this week's guest, Mallory Major, who is a marketing specialist. But before I introduce you to Mallory, it has been a hot minute since I have covered a review of the week. This one comes from a listener, Lisa G, who submitted her review to my website on mindbizlife.com, which if you haven't done so, you can leave your review there or on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Anyways, her review reads, I'm not much of a review person, but when I find something I love, I shout it to the world. This podcast covers so much and Lauren's questions are always on point. Well done. Well, hey, Lisa G, thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. I feel like really good knowing that you're not a review person, but you made a point to go to the website and leave this review. Man, it just speaks volumes about this podcast in general. So thank you for tuning in and turning up each and every single week. I just love this audience and I like getting to know you guys through reviews or on social media. We're even just randomly getting comments through other people. It's really amazing. You are amazing. So thank you, everyone. If you haven't connected with me yet, you can be sure to do so. I am everywhere on social media. Connect with the podcast at, at MindBizLife on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can also connect with me on my personal accounts, and that is at Lauren Smith Biz. Whatever you want to do, connect with me, say hello. Let's get to know one another. Okay, but speaking of getting to know one another, it is time to introduce you to Mallory, who is going to teach us how we can level up our business. All right, well, you know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Lauren Smith, welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Mallory Macher. Mallory has nearly a decade of experience in marketing strategy and leadership. Throughout her career as a communications director, Mallory partnered with the most creative minds in marketing, serving clients all over the country. In 2017, Mallory brought her competitive fire to Kansas City and opened up her own agency. Mallory, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, Mallory, we both have a marketing background under our belts, and I love talking all things marketing because it really is what I think both an art and a skill. There's just so much to learn and understand in the marketing realm, so I'm really excited to bring your expertise to the podcast. Absolutely. Well, let's start with one, I guess like the easiest step is what led you to marketing? And I guess not only marketing, but the entrepreneur life. Will you share a little bit of your journey with us? Yeah, absolutely. So this is um, kind of a crazy thing that stemmed from my love for sports. And I have to say, I know you're a Steelers fan and I'm a diehard Steelers fan. So. No, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Are th- 
Yeah, <laughs> Arthur Motes was just on the podcast uh, last week. So, so good. Love it. <laughs> so anyway, I grew up a huge sports fan, my whole family, big sports people. And I knew I wanted to work in sports. I didn't know in what capacity, but I knew that that was the field I wanted to get into. And when I was in college, there was an opportunity to do a study abroad program. Um, I went to the University of Texas, so obviously a big sports school. Um, There was an opportunity to do a study abroad program for sport management in London. Um, And I was a film major. Like I in no way was setting myself up to work in sports, which was, you know, in hindsight, not the smartest idea if that's what I wanted to do. (laughs) But my mom was like, you have to do this. And it was kind of surprising that she was so supportive of it because it, you know, had nothing to do with what I was currently studying in school. So I went and it just, I completely fell in love with the industry. I was able to see, um, I mean, some of the biggest sports events in the world. We went to Wimbledon, the Tour de France. We went Mm -hmm. to the British Open, like all these amazing, um, you know, worldly sports events. And I just fell in love. So I came back my junior year of college and, and knew I had to get in some way. So I just applied for every internship in the athletic department at university of Texas and landed in the communications department and the operations department of the athletic department. And I did both of them throughout college, but the communications office was just kind of where my heart was. I was able to write and, you know, design and kind of help with strategy. I just fell in love with it. And so that's, that's the path I chose. I took internship and job after job, um, working in these communications offices at various universities, uh, I even had a brief stint at USA Swimming the year Michael Phelps came out of retirement. And I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Yeah. And then I got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that goes. Yep. <laughs> so that changed my path. Um, I was working 80-hour weeks, traveling you know, 30 weeks out of the year with the teams I was working with. It was just not a lifestyle that I could do as a mom. Mm. Um, so I made the very hard decision to leave the leave the college athletics and the team side. Um, I ended up moving and working for a golf management company in the same capacity for the first couple of years my daughter was born. But you know, it just didn't it didn't light me up like working in college athletics did. So I met someone who introduced me to this online space and my business was formed as a you know a a moonlighting gig for about a year and a half and I took my agency full-time about six months ago and have been a full-time entrepreneur ever since so it's wild that you know if you asked me even three years ago if this is where I would see myself I would have said you were crazy Um, I thought I would be working my way up in the sports world, but here I am and I could not imagine it any other way. Wow. I love your story. I also just resonated with so many different bits of your journey. And first, 
first thing I want to point out is aren't moms amazing for seeing potential in you that you don't see in yourself or just like seeing potential in these amazing opportunities. The fact that your mom could just see like, yeah, this is a good thing for you to do. And it opened your eyes up. It's so good to have that supportive person in your life. And now you get to be the supportive person in your little human's life too. But also I think, you know, like when you, someone asked you, where do you see yourself in 10 years? We have this ability to create this like fantasy land in our mind and then life happens and it doesn't turn out the way we, we expected it to look like. A lot of times it's better. Um, but I love that that happened to you too, or three years ago, you didn't see yourself here now and bam, here you are living your purpose. Yeah. And you know, I never wanted children of my own. I mm. loved kids, but I never wanted them. My daughter was an oops baby, but yeah. it, this whole world that I live in now as an entrepreneur and a mom, it's like this world I never knew I needed or this life I never knew I needed. Mm. It's just wild how things work out, but you're so right. I, I don't think if anybody asked that question to me, I wouldn't, I, again, like now I don't, I wouldn't answer it because yeah. it's, it's either going to set me up for, to be disappointed or yeah. going to be completely totally off the wall different. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all put like a general idea of where we want to see ourselves, but to get like down to the nitty gritty is, is in detail is really hard. And I think the older that we get, the more we realize that, um, which speaking of general, I think this is a good leeway into my first question is you emphasize the benefits of being a market, a marketing generalist. So let's talk more about that. Can you break down what exactly a marketing generalist is? Yeah. So this is something that I think is a little controversial these days. um, I like controversy. Let's do it. (laughs) Everybody's kind of specializing in different areas. Mm. Um, But essentially, a marketing generalist is someone that's really good at a lot of different things, but most importantly, can see the big picture and understand how all the pieces of marketing kind of fit together for a brand. Mm. Um, And, you know, these marketers, they know how to write and they know storytelling, which is to me the foundation of really good marketing strategy. Um, And so when I entered this online space and entrepreneurial world, every one of my mentors was telling me I, I had to choose one thing. And I tried and it just wasn't working for me. And, um, I, it felt icky. And so once I made the decision to take a step back and do what I was best at that marketing generalist role, I really started thriving in my business. So now I sit on my soapbox trying to (laughs) tell everyone that it's okay to be a marketing generalist because it, it really is that, that big picture and, um, you know, master of the puzzle role. I love that because especially in in marketing, it is this like, there's a lot of pieces. It's really hard to hire a team like, oh, I need a social media manager. Oh, I need some, uh, you know, digital marketing for my, someone to write my blog, someone to design my website. But if you can have someone who's skilled in all of those sets to kind of be on your team, it takes a huge headache out of, out of the puzzle, putting the puzzle together. Absolutely. And it's a lot cheaper. (laughs) Yeah. If you're you're just dividing it all out to different agencies, cool. (laughs) Cool. I think price tag. I think those, you know, these marketing generalists kind of lost their place 
months Mm. for a little bit, you know, with the rise of the specialists and, and I mean, don't get me wrong. There is a place, a time and a place for a specialist. And I will be the first to admit when I don't think that I'm the right fit for a project, because I think the client I'm working with needs a specialist in a certain thing. Right. Um, and you know, this holistic approach to marketing really kind of fizzled out, but you know, with the trends of digital marketing now, I mean, they're ever changing more than ever. Um, every single day, something's new, which kind of makes room more for this marketing generalist to kind of make a name in the marketing world because they're, personality trait is to learn all the things. So they're constantly staying up to date with these ever-changing marketing trends. Right. Yeah. And oh, ever-changing. Jeez. I think everyone can kind of just relate on that with there's all there's always a change on Facebook. There's always a change on Instagram. There's a new platform coming out. Oh wait, we've just updated our terms and agreements. Now this has to change. You know, so it's it is. Yes, it's, it's, it's a lot to keep up with. It really is. And that's why I need someone like you in your corner to kind of help navigate those, those, you know, foggy, murky waters. Absolutely. And especially with the, with these, uh, solopreneur businesses or startup businesses, they don't necessarily have the funds to bring in a bunch of experts. And because this is, you know, kind of the rise of the startup, um, these in the last couple of years, it's literally the stomping grounds for marketing generalists oh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what some a lot of people can get stuck on is understanding how to know like what you sell and what you deliver. And that can get kind of tricky doing that online. So what is your advice when breaking that down? Yeah, absolutely. So I always ask a client when I start working with them is what do you sell? And they usually say, you know, a course or this product. And, you know, I stop them. No, that's what you deliver, but let's get to the core of what you sell. Mm. So the the difference is aligning what you sell and what you deliver with your audience's wants and needs. So um, Julie Stoyan of create your laptop life, had the best example I've ever heard in my life. And so I always use it when I talk about this. And she said, you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and say, I'm so excited to go to, you know, wherever and buy a drill. Like nobody, nobody wants a drill, right? But they need, they need that hole to hang their family picture on the wall and hang their memories. And so the drill is is what you deliver, but what you're selling is those memories by the way of creating this whole. So I know it's, it's a little obscure example, but it's so, um, when you're creating your marketing strategies, defining those two things of what you sell versus what you deliver, how it aligns with what your audience wants and what they need, because nine times out of 10, they don't even know what they need. They know they want your course, but what is about your course once you deliver it to them? How is it going to change their life? That's the need. And so aligning those two is going to be the foundation of your entire marketing plan and marketing strategy. And it's going to allow you to communicate with your audience beyond just this customer business monetary transaction. Mm. It's really going to start 
building those relationships, it's going to allow your audience to trust your brand because you're um, providing this need for them that maybe they don't even know that they wanted or needed and um, allow this long-term relationship with your audience. That I really like that example that you outlined because it is really good. And audience, I think, is one of the toughest things for a new brand to wrap their head around because, of course, like we know you have to have like different personas of people, but it can be really easy to just like target in on one type of person. So how can you really understand your audience better? I think that is really difficult to understand what they need versus what the audience wants. Yeah. So I am a very firm believer in multiple client avatars. And I know that again is a little controversial because a lot of people say, you know, you need one client avatar and only talk to that person. Now I'm not saying you need 50. Um, but one to three, I think is a really good range to where you can kind of open yourself up to this fluidity of speaking to your audience. Mm. But what I see so many new marketers do is kind of guess what their client avatar looks like without actually going in to their target market and figuring it out from there. So I see a lot of these entrepreneurs saying, okay, I know that I want to serve, you know, women at this age with this income bracket who do this and this and this, but end up being completely off from where, what their people are in their space. Mm. So my biggest advice before you start building out your client avatar is go into where your people are hanging out and look at the words that they're using and look at the comments in blog posts and look at the interactions on Facebook in the spaces that they hang out. So finding out where they're hanging out is way more important than building that client avatar first. So you should find out where they hang out first, then build your client avatar around that based on the conversations that are happening in that space. Another trick that I love doing is going to Amazon and looking at the reviews. So if you go and search, go to search for books within your industry and then look at the reviews on those books, um, people are going to tell you what they did not get out of the book or what they did get out of the book. And those are so key to determining the wants and needs of your audience because they're telling you right there. You just have to know where to find it. I love that. That's really genius. I never thought about going to Amazon at all. <laughs> at all. For everything. So if I can find a right? way it for my life, you better believe I'm going to use it. Right? Oh my goodness. So where are some other places that people can go? Because, you know, they may be like, oh yeah, I'll look at a blog. But do you have like res- like a resource that, you know, a checklist, I, maybe is a better word of saying, like the best places that people can go to find their audience? Because if let's say you're not very tech savvy, yeah. where, where else are they going to really understand that audience? So I don't know how much I can help you if you're not tech savvy, (laughs) Um, but I think a lot of people are really afraid to dive into their competitors space Mm. and it's a goldmine for understanding your audience. And so I think finding your top three, four, five competitors, looking at the content that they're putting out, looking at how their audience is responding to that content, 
Now I'm not saying take it obviously, Um, but it's, you'll start seeing patterns, you know, through, through the interactions that you're seeing in, in the social media space and on your competitors platforms. And even on Amazon, you'll start to see and pick up different patterns. And those are the things that you should start taking note of. So I, those are my three big that I always use for my clients is the Amazon social and then competitors. Yeah. Because even let's say like, if you're still building social media, um, and maybe you haven't found like that good Facebook group or haven't really found that good example, um, you can still use your competitors. Like if you have a coffee shop, you could easily walk into a competitor's coffee shop and just see who's there, like figure out their mannerisms, what they're doing. So what they're ordering, you know, it's not like you're copying them. You're just really understanding the audience that drives them there. Absolutely. And I that's definitely that. something that I would, um, that I would reiterate is it, it's, it, I think people have a tendency not to want to go into their competitor space because of what you just said. They, they don't want to feel like they have to do what they're doing, but if you go in with the mindset, no matter where you're, where you're entering, be it their website, or even if it's a coffee shop, like their actual store, um, go in with the mindset of that you're just observing the interactions and the conversations um, around the people surrounding that brand, yes. not the brand itself. Yes, yes, that's that's huge to emphasize for sure. Um, social media, as we've we've kind of touched on, is really a hard-hitting go-to for businesses and brands alike. So what tools and systems do you think are critical to use for your social media marketing? I am a big social report guy. (laughs) Um, It is kind of a best-kept secret. I don't know too many people that are using social report, but I know third-party schedulers get a super bad rap these days. Mm, Yeah. But if you find a third-party platform that specifically focuses on optimizing your content, I mean, you, it, it just makes your life so much easier. I also think that finding a third-party platform that has great reporting is another key. So many times people will put out great content, but don't pay attention to their reports and they're missing opportunities to create even better content for their audience. And social report has such a robust reporting um, platform that it has been a game changer with my business and my clients. I love that. What are there any others that you like to use? Do you use like um, the social report have a scheduler within it or do you use something? It does. Oh, and then, so I also, I also use Trello. Mm, Um, I have a workflow with my clients where I'm, because I have account managers too. So when I have a lot of hands in this content creation, having some kind of, um, central base where my clients can oversee what we're doing. I can see what my account manager is doing and my account managers have all the answers to any questions they have. So each one of my clients gets a board that all three of us are on, my account manager, the client, and myself, that has just a breakdown of scope of work, everything about the client that myself and my account manager need to create content. And then there's a currently working on, ready to approve, and ready to schedule. And I love this because my clients know at all times what we're working on when it comes to social media. And that has really eliminated... Um, 
the back and forth emails of, Hey, what are you doing? They can, you know, they can just kind of pop in and check and it's really minimized mistakes or doing things that the client doesn't necessarily want. So if you are offering social media management for clients, I would definitely recommend finding, you know, even if it's not Trello, because I know a lot of people are moving away from Trello, but finding just kind of one space where your client is able to see what you're doing at all times. Oh, it makes me sad to hear people are moving away from Trello. I love Trello. Yeah, expensive though. Yeah, yeah it, it really is. They've upped their prices. And a lot of different social media, well, I know Trello is just not social media. It's more, we could say like team management or right. um, an organizational tool. But a lot of social media marketing things are increasing like crazy in their prices. And I think that some of them are even decreasing what they offer when they're increasing this price. Um, I know that some of third party different permissions and things from Facebook, Instagram, whatever are changing that, but man, it stinks. (laughs) It really does. And and social report is, is expensive, but completely worth. I mean, it does everything. That's amazing. Uh, it also allows you to approve content. So if I have, you know, a VA or someone put content into social report to schedule, an account manager can go in and approve it. Um, But I also wanted to add, I forgot to mention this on Trello, but what I do in Trello is create a separate card for each piece of content Mm. and and, um, store that content once it's already been scheduled in another Trello board for your client. So they have a whole board of evergreen content that they can use you know, if you no longer work with them or, um, you know, if there's a lull in content one day, we can pull from that bank. So it's nice to have just this big bank of evergreen content. Now, Social Report also holds evergreen content and you can set content there. But once, you know, a client and I end our contract together, they don't have access to that Social Report. So I always like giving them a bank of that evergreen content that they can use moving forward. Oh, that's really nice. That's really nice. And content is, oh man, that, I think content is what is probably the biggest pain point for most people when it comes to not just digital marketing, but especially social media. Um, Captions on Instagram and Facebook or whatever you're getting down with right now on social media, they can be so tough to come up with. And I know that you really emphasize story-based captions because they promote engagement. But how do you write those captions? Because they they can be difficult to kind of tap into. Yeah. Well, I love this question because I think there's, there's a couple of answers. Um, and this could probably be a whole podcast topic on its own, but as far as the story-based content, that is to, to write good story-based content is really understanding that need and not the want Mm. of your audience. So if you sell a course and you just are continuously talking about a course, it's not going to resonate because there's a million other course creators out there. So if you're not addressing their need, that story is not going to resonate. Um, but if you can, you know, if you're selling a course for moms who want to work from home, so let's say you're, you know, selling a course to teach VAs how to start their freelance business, 
you know, what is that need? They want to stay home with their babies. They want to be able to still financially contribute to their household. Those are those needs that they might not even realize. I mean, in this case, they probably do realize that, but um, if you can really hone in on that need and create content around that, that is um, really going to be the difference maker. And honestly, it's like playing in Facebook and Instagram sandbox, right? That's what they want. They don't want you to sell your stuff. And the, you know, the algorithms have been really controversial the last couple of weeks. Um, but if you just take away the deliverable, take away what it is that you're actually delivering to your audience and build content around that, I mean, you'll see a game changer approach in your engagement, your sales. Um, I mean, it'll, it'll really be the difference maker. Let's talk about this algorithm. (laughs) Cause good Lordy almighty. I swear (laughs) it has, we can first talk about years ago, Facebook changed their algorithm, which most people know it really became a play to uh, pay to play type of Mm -hmm. thing for, for pages, which hit a lot of small, small businesses hard who didn't have that as part of their marketing budget. Then in the past, we'll say two years, really, all these businesses flood to Instagram because, well, Facebook, (laughs) can't use Facebook, but then Facebook, as we know, owns Instagram now, but they did implement some cool features in Instagram. People were loving it. Their engagement was going up. And as you mentioned in the past few weeks, people are like, where the heck did my engagement go? What's going on? So how can we kind of beat this? new algorithm that has seemingly, I don't know, hidden us from some of our followers. Yeah, 100%. So what, what these platforms are doing, and they're doing it across the board, not just Facebook and Instagram, but it's just most obvious there right now, is they're wanting it to be a social space. So no one should be mad at the algorithm because they're trying to get control over what they originally built these platforms for, which I completely respect. Um, I, I personally think they've become too sales heavy too. So as a, as a non-entrepreneur and just a Facebook and Instagram user, I can super respect what they're trying to do. Um, and so one is that story-based content that we, that we talked about. Um, but number two is businesses really need to stop posting for the sake of having content. Mm. What I tell my account managers and my clients is every single piece of content you post should have a purpose. And that purpose could very well be to sell something, but it should still have a purpose. And if you can combine the story part of it, so you're um, creating content around their need and not their want and defining that purpose, I really think that that is going to overcome this algorithm because like I said, you're playing in their sandbox. So you're giving them what they want, that um, social content that Instagram and Facebook want. You're also able to sell your products by a way that is going to allow your audience to build a deeper relationship with your brand. So it's a win-win for the consumer, for Facebook and Instagram, and for your business. Mm, yes. And you're so right. It really has like become super salesy. I I think we all kind of noticed it with Facebook first and now it's becoming on Instagram. I, I actually saw someone's post the other day and said they, they purposefully do not engage with or click on any post that says sponsored on it. 
And I was like, wow, like, whoa, you know, the mindset of the consumer on Facebook and Instagram or Twitter or Pinterest, wherever you're, you know, getting down right now, it's, it's really changing because we did get flooded. I mean, just flooded with it. And we can't be mad at brands either because, hey, this, that's where business was going. But we saw a lot of brands too, when Facebook took the hit that they didn't maybe build their business the right way. They built their business on social media, which is not the way to do it. And I don't think you or I would ever suggest to anyone to do it that way. Because if Facebook goes down and you've only built your business on Facebook, you don't have a business. Exactly. And you can't, you can't allow Facebook to own your business essentially. But, um, when it comes to content, some, I know some people, yeah, they will just post to post. And I love that you touched on that. You have to have a purpose with your post because per- posting without purpose is just pointless. You know, like you're not going to get anything from it and neither is your audience. So like, you're really just wasting time in that respect, but also posting content and using all of the content tools that the, that the, um, platform has provided you. So if you're on Instagram and you're only posting posts and you're not posting on stories or Instagram TV and they've provided you that option, it's almost like you can't get mad at the platform for you not putting the content up in the different places that you could, if that makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. And, And you hit the nail on the head, like definitely using everything they're providing you. I've even noticed on Facebook when you use those Facebook backgrounds for your text, instead of creating branded content, they do so much better. And yeah. it doesn't look great, but yeah, they're not, they're ugly. <laughs> like you to play in their sandbox. So right. no, I, it's, it's kind of bittersweet because I really do understand why these platforms are doing what they're doing, but it is really challenging businesses to create this story based content. Mm. How do you keep from being burnt out on social media? Um, I, I think because <laughs> I, yeah, I, I took a step back um, and I, I got to the point in business where I just realized that marketing was no longer bringing me joy in, in general. It was yeah. like, I can use it for my own business, but doing it for other people wasn't bringing me joy. Um, and I took a step back and I noticed a lot of that was because I was on social media a lot, you know, for clients and it burned me out. So I'm curious to know how you stay from entering the burnout zone. Absolutely. Um, I probably get burnt out about once a quarter. Um, (laughs) Before I answer that, I will say this is another reason why why I love being a marketing generalist, because if I'm getting burnt out in copywriting, then I can kind of move into more design. Or if I'm getting burnt out on social media, I can stop offering that for a little bit. Um, so I, but I'm still able to make money if I was just a social media specialist, then, you know, I'd have to stick with it. But, um, so I will say that, but the second thing is I have taken Facebook off my phone and that has been huge because I, I'm a serial scroller in the mornings and the evenings. Yep. Um, so once I took, I mean, I took all social off my phone as well. Um, and I dedicate an hour in the morning and the hour in the evenings to go through all of my client stuff. So I'm not missing anything. Um, but taking it off my phone was huge. Um, now when I go on vacation, I, I put it back on my phone just because I still have to work sometimes. Yeah. But I think it's just, not feeling guilty about setting boundaries with yourself. 
Um, I think so many people, especially marketing professionals, is they have to be connected all of the time. And while that's halfway true, you really don't. Um, if you can just set those boundaries, set dedicated hours and let, and communicate that to your clients, like, Hey, just so you know, I don't have this on my phone. I'm not checking it at midnight or all hours of the night, but you can expect me to make sure I'm in your accounts at this time and this time, communicate it with your clients. And they totally would understand. I haven't run into a client that doesn't understand set those boundaries, whatever works best for you. It may not be taking the apps off your phone, but, um, making sure you just don't feel guilty about it and communicating it with your clients. I love the emphasis on boundaries. Boundaries are so huge, not just in your business, but in your life, people, you need, you need boundaries and taking those apps off the phone. I've done it. I've added them back. I've deleted again. You know, it just kind of depends where my mindset is and where my life is those days. But I think what got me is one time, um, I have an iPhone, so it tells you now your screen time. And if like you click on it, it tells you how many times you've picked up your phone, which apps you've opened. And I saw it. And one day it was like, you're on your phone for like six hours. And most of it was social media. I was like, holy cannoli. I (laughs) get off my phone right now. But it made me just like, also become so aware of how unpresent I was. Yeah, uh, yeah that is huge. Oh my goodness. It's and so crazy. The reason I started my own business is because I wanted to be more present with my daughter. Right. right. And so, it, I mean, it's hard. Setting those boundaries are not easy, especially when you're running a business and a family. Yeah. But, but I have noticed, just like you said, when I can take those apps off my phone, when I am with my husband and my daughter, I am so much more present. My daughter and I have grown so much closer since I've put my phone away because early in her early toddler years, I mean, she's only two, but I felt as a mom that I wasn't bonding with my daughter. And that sounds horrible. I don't think I've ever said that out loud, yeah. but it, I really struggled with it. And it's crazy that when I made those boundaries with my phone, all of that started changing. Yeah. No, I totally, oh man, I totally feel you there. And I I love that you got vulnerable and shared that. My oldest daughter is nine and my youngest is five. And it's more so with my oldest daughter, but she, I feel like we grew up together. You know, like I had her in college. I started my business in college. So like, she's really been like my ride or die from the beginning in this whole business thing, regardless if she realizes it or not. But, um, she defined my job once as texting. And I was like, Oh, and then this summer, even because they're home with me during the summer. And of course they still have to work. Um, a lot of times, like I'll let them sleep in. I'll get a lot of work done in the morning, but you know, I get the comments of you're well, you're nine going on 13. It feels like most days, but uh, <laughs> I get the comments of like, well, you're always working, you know, like something like that. And I'm like, well, I'm really not, but I know that's the perception. And when you're nine years old, perception is reality. Not even just nine new. That's that's life. Uh, perception is reality. And I, last night was like, you know what? When school is back in session, of course, I'm going to have my days back. But the minute I pick them up at three o'clock in the afternoon, I am done working. Like I am, I'm done. And I know that is not just because I need to set boundaries in work, but like really it was setting boundaries in my home life as well to make sure I am more present. I love that. And yeah. you had the nail on the head of perception is reality. 
Oh my gosh. That literally gave me goosebumps because it's so true. I mean, my daughter's not old enough to tell me to get off my phone yet, but I know it, it would come if I didn't set those boundaries. And oh even, yeah, like you said, you're not always working, but if that's how your kids view it, I mean, that's, that's wild. Right. And, and for her to, uh, um, I mean, she just, I think my youngest daughter has seen like a different part of my business. So, you know, her perception is going to be a little bit different, but it got to the point where I would just be on my phone texting my friends, but she was thinking I was working because that's what I did on my phone, you know? So it was like, but I'm working. So sometimes I was, I was working. Sometimes I was texting. Sometimes I was on Amazon getting my prime on, but she didn't know. <laughs> so her perception is mom is always working. And um, that is something that I have to work on. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that and just know that mom to mom, I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. Yes. Well, Mallory, this has, you've just provided a wealth of information. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and connect with you further? Yeah, you can find me at my website, mkdigitalco.com. Um, and all the links to our social handles are there and I'd love for you to say hi. I love that. Mallory, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you and thank you so much for just sharing your knowledge. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being here. I can't thank Mallory enough for getting nerdy with me on this week's episode. After we finish recording, we continue to talk for I don't know, 15, 20 minutes after that, I think I could classify Mallory and I as kindred spirits for sure. For direct links to Mallory's website and social channels, be sure to check out this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. And as a quick heads up before I sign off, I'm going to be hosting a big giveaway in August for the one-year podcast anniversary year. I can't believe it. I am teaming up with some of my favorite guests to be giving away some of their products. Of course, some of my own as well, but you need to make sure you're following at mindbizlife on Instagram to stay up to date on all of the upcoming details. Okay. I'll see you back here next week, but until then, remember every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.